You understand the meaning of the word foreboding. As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Winds in the east. Mist coming in. Like something is brewing. About to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, we are beginning our descent into Los Angeles. Welcome, Mrs. P.L. Travers, to the City of Angels. It smells like... Jasmine. Chlorine. And sweat. <laughs> Introducing the creator of our beloved Mary. Poppins. Never ever just Mary. Now, where is Mr. Disney? She's here. Well, family travel. You can't imagine how excited I am to finally meet you. Would you mind? My name is Mrs. Pappas, Mr. Disney. Oh, Walt. Now, you got to call me Walt. 20 years ago, I made a promise to my daughters that I would make your Mary Poppins fly off the pages of your books. I promised them, man. I know what he's going to do to her. She'll be cavorting and twinkling. He can't make the film unless you grant the rights. Damn. Okay, here's why I think people get so annoying about James Cameron's Avatar movies. These movies are, like, demonstrably the biggest movies of all time, right? But you you all get this fucking just deeply irritating, like, oh, it has no cultural footprint. Oh, it has no fan fiction. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's just Fern Gully, right? Like, people trying to, like, figure out reasons why it's not the biggest thing of all time. Mm. I think the reason people have this grudge against avatar is because they have a dumb thing for babies that they like that is also called avatar and they don't like that it's like taking up that space the the long cultural tale of avatar the last airbender is like disastrous to the culture these fucking like nerd millennials watch the show as a kid and have convinced themselves it's the height of narrative storytelling and they have so many grudges that's also why people still hate m night Shyamalan, right well yeah there's a lot of reasons to not like m night yeah there's also a lot of reasons to like m night Shyamalan. sure but old (laughs) i haven't seen old um you haven't seen old no Connor, we got to seen... get together and watch Old Buddy. Oh I haven't God. seen any of the uh, the house knock at the cabin or whatever. oh knock at the cabin fucking rules. Uh, More like oh knock at the good God. movie. <laughs> Even though I have I have two fairly good friends that worked on that film because uh, they're from um, Philadelphia and he shoots everything in Philadelphia. Hell yeah, he does, baby. Yeah, yeah it's great one city. Of his, his weakest aspects. Um, Connor, did you know there's a rapper in Old? One of the central characters in old is a Con- famous Connor. rapper. A Connor, famous I would like rapper. you to guess the name of this rapper. Yeah, what's the what do you think this dude's like rap name is? Is wait, 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 wait. Like the character the, the character, character, the fictional character is a famous rapper who has ended up on the beach that makes you old. Right? So, it's he's so, not played by a rapper, he's played by like a character actor. Okay. But is so if it's M. Night Shyamalan, yes, it's something along the lines of like a Mr. Glass type name am i i don't even know if that's true but no (laughs) 
Hit me with some guesses and I'll tell you if you're hot or cold. Yeah, and just start guessing down. like rap. What do you think? What do you think M. Night Shyamalan sat down, cracked open Final Draft, like wrote down a rap name? Okay, what do you I got think, for me? I think he just wrote down like Lil Mike or something like so that. Cold. So cold. Ice so cold. The, you're correct in that the first uh, <laughs> word is a size. This is, is true. Size. This is true. The first word is a size. <laughs> Is it so like you, is it like girthy cheesesteak or something like you're that? You're actually closer. I, oh that, that, so, you're getting a okay. little warm. So you did little and then you did girthy. We're in the middle. We're in the mid. Middle. We're in the middle. Yeah. It's like a uh average pete or is it, is it a name like it's the second no, one in me it's, it's it's a it's it's a type of thing. jeff jeff it's can a you say it thing. i can't say it can you say okay, it connor the name of the the name of this rapper is mid-sized sedan <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's pretty incredible actually dude old so fucking good i don't like the um the kid the ones with the grandkids and I oh that movie's whatever and yeah, I don't that movie's like fine at best I remember being a little kid and watching the village and being like I'm out <laughs> count me out on anything this guy makes is it forever. is it one of the grandkids uh Priscilla <laughs> Presley in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis yes it um, is uh, yes it oh. is it's Olivia DeJong glad to know she's still going well the the visit is several years Connor did I yeah. tell you to watch better watch out on this podcast I think so, yeah. Okay, because the two kids who were in The Visit are were in the same year in this Australian horror movie called Better Watch Out, which is incredible. And it drives me crazy because I can't tell anyone why it's good because it has it's a, it's oh, a twist movie. Oh, because it's like movie. a twist movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listeners, if you want a good Christmas horror movie, watch Better Watch Out. And if you're like 30 minutes into Better Watch Out and you're like, this movie sucks ass. Yes, it does. Trust me on this one. (laughs) Okay. The Um, first act of Better Watch Out is bad on purpose. I, I do, I do have to say to bring it back to where you began. I, of all the different fandoms out there, I do feel like the Avatar one is like the least, I don't know, the least obscene. Sure, they're the least one. obscene, but they're also the least like emotionally and artistically developed. I don't know if they're like true. I just they're don't know honestly sub Disney so. adults in terms of like because at least Disney adults seem to like know that they like shit that's for babies. Like Avatar adults, I think truly they, think, they think it's about the is... fucking apex like, of the Western. Thing is, the thing is, I watched the that show. Well, when I was around like 13, 14. Yes. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I watched a few episodes like two years ago. It's still good. Like I still enjoy it's it, but there's a, there's a yeah, there's a fine line between good and like apex of storytelling. Yeah. And like we can acknowledge that things are are good. Yeah. There, there seems to be there's this like culture now of everything needs to be the best or the worst. Like we acknowledge the show is very good. Yeah, it's good. And be happy with that. It's no Teen Titans. Crazy. Which I'm not gonna argue. In, which Teen Titans? Which, the original Teen Titans, which aired in the same same time slot on a different network, and is maybe the superior show. Just gonna put that one out there. I'm not gonna argue. I have, I have no argument there. I disagree. I think Avatar is better than. Yeah, it, I think it really does come down to which one did you watch when it. Aired. Yeah, yeah. And I was a Teen Titans kid. Teen Titans had goths in it, man. Come I on. mean, yeah, that's that's the divide come when on, you're 13. What you gonna do? You know, 
Yeah, Connor, Avatar has seen... people throwing fire with their hands. You have know? you, Connor? Have you seen Teen Titans go to the movies? I did after you. Okay, uh, we've had this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff, have you seen Teen Titans go to the movies? No, but I know the pitch, and I know what you're going to say. Okay, because then it has the you darkest know the joke, joke. Yeah, in yeah. the history of cinema. <laughs> that, that movie's not very good, but when it's on, it's fucking mm-hmm. on. Connor, introduce the podcast. This is above Cheerio, the Cheerio, Dan. <laughs> Your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about the career of Colin Farrell. Uh, our... Right, he's in this. <laughs> <laughs> our inaugurary subject of this initial season uh, where we are interrogating the state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Connor. I'm Cole. Cole, who I'm do we Jeff. have joining with us today? Jeff Sweeney's back, ladies and gentlemen. And guess what? That means I'm sick again. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, folks. um, I want to just offer right now an apology for last episode, which I came in a little sweaty, a little unprepared. It was. And so I I told Cole after that, I want to be the most prepared guest possible when we do Mr. Banks. I, I said I was going to do this. There's a lot to prepare for this. One. I prepared a reading list, a watching list, and then the SAG strike ended, and I couldn't do everything I wanted to. <laughs> the timing <laughs> is really the worst it could have possibly been, right? Yes. Like, I feel like if it was a week earlier or later. If I had one more week, I could have gotten it all. Um, but I still came miss? in at least somewhat prepared. Wouldn't when it read... be crazy if the rank and file rejects the contract? And they go on strike again. The no, they already they already approved it. I'm pretty sure they they did approve it. Yeah, I, th- I don't sure think they. they I thought they hadn't voted it. yet. Um, it'd just be so funny if we're all like gearing up to 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 get ready again, and then it's like <laughs> they sag, pull it back again. Sag contract, sag strike round two. Oh my mm. god! But uh, I came as prepared as I could be given the time constraints. Um, I read a Walt Disney biography. The the Gabler, I... right? Yeah, the Gabler book. Yeah. Um, I did I a decent bit of reading story. about the creation of this movie, listened See? to a podcast with Kelly Marcel. So oh. I have some context coming into this. Uh, See, your first better. your first uh, gesture is your first mistake because this movie features a fictionalized Walt Disney. <laughs> yes. Like nothing remotely close to the actual man. Well, so. that's why I wanted to have the context of what Walt yeah. was doing. That book's also really good. Is it's the great. thing. It's like a good book to just have had read. Mm-hmm. Um, so, listeners, if you haven't put it together, this is the Saving Mr. Banks episode of Above the Title, um, which is a film about the. It's not even about the making. It's it's really about the rights sale of the Mary Poppins property to yes. the Walt Disney Company. Yeah, by it's about the, the author P. L. Travers. Uh, handing off the baton to the team at Walt Disney who are going to put the Julie Andrews film together. Um, I'll say right now, because I think, you know, I saw this movie back when it came out. Mm -hmm. For the life of me, I can't remember the reason why because this is not a movie that I would have wanted to see. See, Yeah, but I'm not a Hanks completionist and 
he's oh like i mean this real original take here he's an actor that i like <laughs> I'm, I'm really <laughs> i'm really firing hot shots at you guys that i like tom hanks and i think he's a good actor but um just this kind of uh like sugar-coated period piece historical drama especially something at a time when like my cynicism about Disney is like mm -hmm. really is starting to ramp up. It, it's not at a fever pitch yet, but it's really starting to, to, to take go off the tracks. And um, I have a feeling that it was probably something that my sisters wanted to see uh, when we were kids. My Nana had a lot of uh, she, she, for, for a woman who grew up in like the most Italian part of New Jersey, just loved like British children's fiction so that was like all we consumed at her house so I watched Mary Poppins a lot um and I remember at the time being kind of surprised by the uh the Colin performance in this movie or maybe mm. just like more generally the Colin inclusion in this movie but this long-winded ride of what I wanted to say was like, I I do think there is a, a lens through which you could watch this movie where you are essentially rejecting the idea that it has anything to do with any type of reality that actually took place, or even the fact that Mary Poppins is like a real property that exists out in the world that has existed since the 1930s. I think there is a way in which that you could watch this film and just be like, this is a made-up movie about a made-up character and like a made-up negotiation taking place. And you could, in theory, have a good time with it and like a pretty a pretty moving emotional journey on it. But that I that just feels impossible considering like everything that we know and everything. Well, there's the, everything there's that also... we know about Walt Disney, everything. I mean, P.L. Travers was a very private person, but like we do know a considerable amount about like her feelings towards this property being made into a film and her reaction to the film after it was made. And everything about this movie just feels wrong to me is essentially where I'm, I've been leading to where I want to land. Where like everything in this film feels wrong when I'm watching it. Yes. Uh, is that a crazy thing to say? Okay. I, <laughs> I have been accused in the past of sometimes being hyperbolic, which is uh, a, a falsehood and a slander that should never be laid about me because everything I say is very intentional and thought out and reserved all of which is to say i truly think this is one of the most evil movies i've ever seen in my life <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that um, <laughs> while i was watching this it is, while i was watching it i heard in my head like this is one of the most evil and, movies to but exist. It, it, it's not even that bad right like it's cut that's john what lee, i was trying to say john lee hancock has made worse movies than this <laughs> With better casts and also with worse casts. Um, but like, there's something about this where it's like, and here's the thing. When this movie came out, because I did not see this movie until yesterday. I remember this movie getting dinged and like heavily criticized for whitewashing history when it came out. Like, I feel like that's the reputation this movie has is that it's yeah, corporate propaganda rewriting history. Now, I remember that at the time, even having seen it when it came I'm, out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you with a three-pronged thing. Point one, I've never read the Mary Poppins books. Point two, I 
have a deep and abiding affection for the film Mary Poppins. That goes back to childhood. Point three, even removing those two things, I don't actually think authors have any ethical rights to control derivative works, mm-hmm. right? Connor, like we've talked about this before. Like I think, I, I don't think an adaptation has any responsibility to respect the original text. So in theory, yeah. I don't actually give a shit about the sort of historical inaccuracies in this movie. Yeah. Granted, yet- we've given we've given more holistic takes about like I think we've said on this podcast before that like while while an adaptation has no like loyalty to the to the original text there there is the question of like what is the purpose of the adaptation oh are sure, you trying like... to replicate the like the thematic modality that like the text is, belongs to is that kind of what you're attempting to do because there has to be there has to be some purpose for choosing the text in the first place you know sure yeah but i don't think pl travers has any authority to like lord it over the walt disney company in real history right so don't care about that but like something about this movie and it really clicks into place in like the last 10 minutes has left me in like a depressive state ever since i watched it because i think it is just so vile i need to in its function as corporate (laughs) propaganda i i need to elaborate and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll back off for a minute, but yeah, I remember feeling exactly that same way back in 2013. Yeah. And I forgot the way that this movie ends in the time since I, I haven't thought about this movie. It's because the ending is just so ugly. I haven't thought about this movie mm-hmm. until last year when Colin was on the awards trail. And also people were thinking that Emma Thompson might get an Academy Award nominee. It was never yeah. going to happen. I know it was never going to happen. It, it should have happened. The media was exploring yeah. it in that sense for a film called um, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Uh, that she was in last year that I know a lot of people haven't seen, but it's on Hulu and it's 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 a good film. You should watch. It's it a it's a great short film that then goes on for another ninety minutes. Yeah, the third uh, the I think it's a four act film and the fourth act is kind of a nightmare. And yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. the fourth act is kind of a nightmare, and the second and third acts are just bad repetitions of the first acts. Yeah, uh, the first act is incredible though, and Thompson's amazing in it. Her, she's mm. she's great. Um, but I, I was there's a interview that Vanity Fair was doing where they were pairing actors who were um getting recognition last year, but had been in films together in the past. So they did like a, a profile on Colin and Emma together um, oh. in a joint interview. And I had read that interview last year, last January, and I reread it again. Um, because of this but i think that interview was because i don't even think we had decided to do this podcast yet by that point um was like the first time i had thought about this film in a long time and all i remembered was the the column part of it all i remember was the column part and all i remembered was the i think the first third of this film actually lays like pretty interesting groundwork of how artists of different sensibilities might meet and like approach a property together um, mm-hmm. before, like you say, it's really the end of the film is like where it truly kind of like goes off the rails um, in a philosophical <laughs> context. Um, 
But I remembered in 2013, it leaving a very bad taste in my mouth, but also kind of being surprised by what Colin does in this film and how he's included in this film. So watching it again yesterday, I was like, oh yeah, this is how this movie ends. And it takes such a, like, such a severe step into the grounds of like fascistic propaganda. It's, it's absurd <laughs> kind of where this movie and goes. See, the, the thing I find so interesting about this movie um, is that I kind of think it's pretty good until you get to the last 10 minutes. I think we're yeah. all kind of and sharing think, the same feeling of that. I and think it's kind is, of mediocre until yeah. you get to the last 10 minutes. And the thing is, I think if you add two minutes to the end of the movie, you could make this great. Are these two minutes Walt Disney being... Actually, let me rephrase that. Are these two minutes being the actual human being, Bob Iger, being like flayed alive? Because uh, no, that's the way minutes. you wait, wait, save wait, wait. this movie. What's, this is Jeff's writer workshop. Yeah, yeah, here's my, yeah we're here's in my Jeff's pitch. writer's workshop. Here's my pitch. If this is a movie about being seduced and kind of swept up by into like Disney magic um, and like whatever that means and all its facades and whatnot, the actual story of what happened after the premiere is she was so upset watching the movie she walked out, found Walt Disney and said, we have to remove the animated scene. And he said, Pamela, the ship has sailed, walked away, and she was left alone on the red carpet. Um, for a thing having a bander. You add that to the end of this movie, the whole thing gets reframed. Well, that yeah. is true. Yeah. I think it that's floats. kind of like, yeah. Because then the whole movie becomes about how she was essentially tricked by this con man. Yeah. But, okay, but this is the point I want to make is that like, animated scene is so fucking good Pamela yeah. what are you talking about mm -hmm. it's like the but, best thing at Disney that's and I think that if that's why I, think, I think that it, there's an a historical mode that you could watch this movie with where you're just like oh it's an austere woman woman like coming to understand that like there is magic in this form mm -hmm. well, I think if that's you what kind of if you if you reject if you reject the historic like the actual yeah. real historical context if you re if you just reject the fact that if this is a fictional film and they reframe the disney character so that mm -hmm. he he has become almost cool i i don't know how you're gonna feel about what i'm gonna say but almost in the way that affleck represents phil knight in air where it's like he was a man, he was a man who was deeply passionate about the craft and then became a businessman. And then this experience has allowed him to be like, you know what? I'm actually like I'm passionate about the craft again. And that that's maybe giving air a little too much credit because the film takes a more satirical approach to that kind of character arc. But I think even if you frame the Disney character in that sense, which is something that this movie was never going to do because this movie is supposed to offer, like, it's supposed to be See, an, an ode to, to well, the, what Disney people think about Walt, like, in the way that the, Disney people think about Walt Disney. To me, the thing about the Disney portrayal in this movie is that it's not inaccurate, it's just only partial. Yeah. Like, sure. this is how he would present himself in a situation like this. And then mm -hmm. to someone else, he would present himself differently. And then yes. if things changed in the first scenario, he would shift into not Uncle Walt, but like more of the like angry guy. Um, I'm trying to think of the exact wording I want to use there. But I think it's 
this movie has a very interesting possible take, which I think is a race the second that Disney gets involved in the picture of being of just showing you this one side of Walt and then at the end kind of pulling the rug out from under you. But it's not interested in that because Disney refuses to allow that. And Bob Iger himself calls Tom Hanks to play Disney in this movie. Yeah, I hate I hate Bob Iger so much. I just really need to make this very clear. <laughs> I, I Bob Iger, if you're hearing this, kill yourself, you piece of shit. You this are the a... scum of the earth. I hate you, you so much. If if you want to read a really good comedy book, I read his like memoir that he put out after he left. After he left, after he retired, every, quote unquote. I tell you, let me tell you, every chapter is him copping to being like, yeah, I accidentally caused this major disaster, but here's the lesson I learned from it. Yeah, it's so funny. And like, I need you to understand. Well, this podcast is full of like sc- scorching hot takes right here. Like, I, Tom Hanks I, I is a good like, actor, and that Bob Iger sucks. Weird. <laughs> I have like weird, begrudging respect and almost admiration for Michael Eisner. Like, yes. probably yeah. an awful person who like ruins the world, but is such a fascinating figure. Bob Iger is just like the fucking pure vile aid of american corporate capitalism yeah like writ large i hate him so much jeff a... you remember i lost See, my mind when he came back to disney you were so upset and here's the I thing so... at I least there's Michael... an intentionality that you got to take into account when you're considering these megalomaniac people hmm. of uh... like you know it's 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 not to not to throw him a bone because that's the last thing i want to do but the, there is a sense that like the real Walt Disney when he made mistakes in his life was was kind of just like a man who didn't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're looking at someone like Bob Iger who exists in the year 2023, it's like, come on, man. I How need- do you not know this? You need to Here's know. Here's the this. thing about Michael Eisner yeah. is Michael Eisner had the cojones to go and say, I'm gonna make my own Fantasia and yes. consider myself <laughs> on the same level. Uh Bob Iger. And you know what list. that movie is? Yeah. <laughs> As good as Fantasia. Good. Sorry, Fantasia it's 2000 great. is fucking incredible. Um, Bob Iger there's also, tried there's to... also the truth that like Bob Iger's success is attributed mainly to the acquiring of yes. pre-existing, yes. not even this property, is why I hate him. Not even property, like pre-existing pre pre-existing industrial complexes that are like already the gears are already running, and he's just grafting them onto the disney apparatus where you have someone like michael eisner who who for all his faults is at least green lighting like passion projects and at least like giving artists Mm. the opportunity to try to do something unique and original and and creative and special yeah i Um, ever since i was very young i've always had this kind of fascination with the disney corporation yes like my dad growing up company yeah, my dad growing up was like a huge Walt Disney guy. Like my dad had all of like the books and like the my art books too. and whatnot. Yeah. That was like his thing is that he was obsessed with Walt Disney and like just found it fascinating. And so I grew up with that. And then I just like we'd go see Disney movies, go to Disney World, all that stuff. And the thing that weirdly I developed is this fascination with the company itself. Yes. And what does the company do, like represent at this moment in time? And I love looking at this movie. And part of why I'm like a lot fonder on this than you two are is I just think it's so fascinating this coming out when it did in relation to Disney's view of itself and kind of this rehabilitation yeah. that it's both doing um, and also not doing by accident. It's also true. And so I'm not going to say this is like 
the best movie ever, but I'm just so excited to delve in and talk about how Baby crazy Mr. this is. Mr. Banks, the best movie ever, Jeff Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> What's the... Should we... Maybe Maybe let's just jump in right now so the 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 movie begins with a shot oh, of palm tree it's it's well, a shot looking I up at the sky through the plot i think let's just take it step by step right uh, now. last we'll time we tried to do quick. that we got distracted 30 i know seconds i know that's why I, i'm like that's why i'm like i don't think we need to backtrack and once we get distracted we'll just run through yeah. it at some point okay. i also right. prepped a little dossier for myself about how this movie gets made um i can either do that now or just kind of sprinkle it throughout so I think let's talk about the actual like the actual yeah. yeah text of the film first for sure yeah it's it's you know for all the the bashing that Cole and I are doing it like yeah I don't want to give up I don't want to pass the opportunity to actually have take an analytical look at a film after Cole and I have spent like week after week after week being like what the hell even happened in this <laughs> thing I can't even remember we <laughs> yeah spent maybe ten minutes total talking about last week's movie was last week epic. epic epic yeah because every time we tried to talk about epic like our brains just turned off and we changed the subject <laughs> no this is easily the most yeah. no you really shouldn't watch epic <laughs> you shouldn't nobody should yeah. jeff if you watch Ep actually jeff do watch epic and then come back to me and tell me if colin farrell is supposed to be playing a leaf because we're like we spent a long time trying to figure out that's the biggest Colin question Farrell of the movie he's literally playing a leaf in that movie i mean okay. kind of good sounds kind of good it's really not <laughs> okay so saving mr briggs begins you're looking at these palm beautiful palm trees in the sky you think it's southern california and yeah. then it reveals that it's actually australia and it is Rocky. uh Crikey, mate. Shrimp on the barbie. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. We're looking at an adolescent P.L. Travers. I can't for the life of me remember what her actual name was. Uh, Helen what Gaul. if yeah, saving Helen Mr. Banks ended like Crocodile Dundee <laughs> with like a crowd <laughs> of people with, like playing telephone between P.L. Travers and Walt Disney and then they like crowd surf let him walk on their hands. It's a much better movie. It's a much <laughs> it's better movie. I, I don't like Crocodile Dundee. I watch the ending of Crocodile Dundee all the time. I think it's beautiful. Um young Helen Goff is like playing out in the field and then like a knight in shining armor her beautiful father played by Colin Farrell shows yes. up to like indulge in this fantasy that that she's so playing. let me let me actually say something here because like you guys have both seen this movie before yeah I had not seen this movie before um this is a this is a iconic did not realize Colin Farrell was in this movie until I put the spreadsheet together uh episode mm -hmm. right yeah, um, yes. Well, for you. Yes, that's yeah for me. Like, there's 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 several of those where I'm like, what the fuck? He was in that. Um, I don't know what happened, but like, Jeff, you hopped on this one early, and you said, and like, I wanted you to do this one because of the Disney stuff, and you said you really liked the Colin performance in it, and then Connor, you backed it up. So I remember looking, like glancing at the wikipedia page and i must have just gotten like my wires crossed because until i sat down to watch this movie i fully thought that colin farrell was playing the giamatti part 
And then the movie starts. And this is why I've cut you off, Connor, because that's not how the movie starts. The movie starts with Colin Farrell voiceover. Oh, that is true. And then a shot of like this family in the outback, like a photograph, right? And it's Colin. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like I'm thrown immediately because the whole time I'm like, Colin's playing the like fun uh, chauffeur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this movie kind of gets me. I haven't looked it up also playing the fun chauffeur. (laughs) Yeah. For a second, I was like, does he play two characters? Is is John Lee Hancock like secretly interesting? Hot take. That's a way. That's also a way better movie. Well, if it's if you just cut the worst performance in the movie. So if it's it's Colin with the horrible boss's makeup on playing the the chauffeur, (laughs) Um, I haven't looked it up to ensure that it's word for word but it's it's essentially verbatim the opening monologue yeah. from Mary Poppins that Dick oh, Van Dyke it's, it's a, says it's word yeah. for word it's the same which, thing. which 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 is a thing this movie does a lot with the Colin Farrell character yeah yeah, yeah. that's it's true maybe the most interesting thing the movie does is yeah the all of the Colin stuff is it's probably the best part of the movie uh, like I think that's kind of the most interesting aspect is looking at this. I mean, there's a more interesting aspect with the Disney part if the movie was more interested in digging yeah. into it. Well, but I think as the movie's presented, the the Colin stuff is the most compelling. If story. we're gonna do if we're gonna do Connor's writer's workshop, if this is in my mind, this is a lot better. The I think the problem when you dangled the carrot of this movie of the spec script in front of the mm-hmm. Walt Disney Company. Is that of yeah. course they see this movie as like prime time example for corporate propaganda to like put their message yeah. forward of this is what Disney does. This is Disney takes very complex, deep adult emotions and kind of like reinterprets them within these surrealist, childlike, fin- fantastical dramas, which is really what they are. And that that's that's like the pitch of the Walt Disney Company. I think you're never going to get out from under that because that is the carrot that you were dangling in front of those executives. And there is no nobody on earth who is cutthroat enough to become an executive at Walt Disney is going to look at this and be like, we have to make a truthful, dramatic film that actually like speaks to reality. Well, wasn't this that initially said, conceived as a BBC TV movie? I think so. But yeah. what I was going to say was, well, I know, I know it was written on spec. Yeah, well, and I can. It, I it wasn't. Think... It wasn't commissioned by Disney. It ended yeah, so up the, at Disney. Yeah. So the story of how this movie gets made is the producer of this movie. Um, uh, what's their full name? It's Ian Colley, who's an Australian producer. In 2002, he produces a documentary about P.L. Travers. Becomes convinced that hey, there's a movie here, like a biopic, uh, and commissions a writer named Sue Smith to write the script. And it kind of sits around for eight years. And then he decides to come back to it, um, hires Kelly Marcel to write the script uh, or to rewrite it, um, who at that point is just kind of like Tom Hardy's co-writing partner. Um, she would just write movies with him. She now writes and directs the Venom movies, um, which is her storyline. Did she direct um, the Eddie first Br- one? She wrote the first two and is now directing the third one. She's directing the third cool. one. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Didn't Andy Serkis her- direct the second one? Yes, yes, he did. Yeah. Can can I tell you she has written five movies? 
and the run is Saving Mr. Banks. I just pulled this 50 up. Shades, 50 Shades of Grey. Ooh, Ven- Venom. Venom 2. Venom 3. So interestingly, <laughs> she also did like... It's so wild coming from this to that run. She, oh, she also worked on the script for Bronson. Yes, because she was she was writing with Hardy a lot. Um, when she was like trying to break into the industry, she also Jeff. She didn't get. Uh, she only got a story credit, uh, but she also wrote Cruella. Okay, yeah. The se- the secret sixth film of Kelly Marcel. Yeah. Um. But she writes. She writes this movie or rewrites the original script, and there's so much Disney stuff in it. They start just sitting around like, "Well, we can't make this movie without approval from Disney. How do we get that?" My understanding. I think is that's that the original. She, yeah, she, mm. she kind of lands it's, on the the structure of yes. Because just to, just to clarify for listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, you shouldn't. This movie is two kind of back and forth cross cutting narratives. One is about her childhood, P.L. Travers's childhood in the outback. Um, Good day, mate. And one is about. I don't P. think there's Travers one Australian accent in this movie. <laughs> in in the early 60s in LA, like writing, like sitting in on the script meetings as they try to write the film Mary Poppins. And she like goes back and forth. So it's, it's, it's cross-cutting more... between these two narratives. And my understanding is that her draft locks into that structure of these two points in her life. And, it was... and the idea to skip the books entirely that's the yeah. problem that which is the exactly that, the problem this movie I... is a hundred percent more interesting and less problematic if it is about the actual creation of mary poppins the fictional character yes the pl the adult pl travers like writing the book and what the book is supposed to mean and not about this injunction of the movie being the adaptation of the book being made in the negotiation with Disney, because at the end of the day, you accomplish all of the emotional beats, just focusing in on the book itself. And you can like, the only reason the Disney stuff is in there is because it's Disney and because they know that people find the Disney stuff interesting because they're fanatical in that type of way. They want to see the representation of old Disney, of Walt Disney walking through old Disneyland and stuff like best, that. Best scene in the movie. Pretty good scene. Sorry, so I the, fucking I fucking hooted and hollered. I was like, he's like, don't you want to go to Disneyland with Walt Disney? And I was like, yes, please. I really want to go to Disneyland with Walt Disney. That sounds fun. So, Connor, you might find in the original draft before um, Kelly Marcel starts rewriting it is actually it's still the two narratives. It's oh. her and her father. And then the other narrative is her and her son, who also becomes an alcoholic. Oof. Oh, and that yeah. she's stuck in the middle. Of See, that. that's great. That's great. It's much more interesting. Yeah. They decide it's the and it also allows her to be ten rewrite. It also allows her to be that. so much more of like a real human being than this yes. movie allows. Mm-hmm. Which like Emma Thompson's performance, like it's Emma Thompson. So don't get me wrong, but the actual like way the character is written on the page is is not necessarily it's mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's it's shockingly one dimensional at times throughout this movie. Yes, and. Yeah. I would agree that that's inherently a more interesting story if you want to focus on Peel Travers. The thing that I really want this movie to lean into more is like the movie Mary Poppins is, I think we would all agree, very, it's a, it's a great movie. I yeah. very much enjoy it. 
Um, and I find that so such an interesting story of how it becomes great when it's these two conflicting viewpoints that go into the story that's being told. And so I do find that interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, paired well with the Colin stuff, if that's the best way to explore that storyline. I think there's a lot in here that, you know, just needs a few more drafts to be fleshed out and really not have the Disney, you know, uh, specter hanging over it. That's maybe the biggest problem is that it throws too many ideas at the wall because what we're talking about, like the opening act of this film does does hint at the film being about that because there's so yeah. much more of the the there's so much more of her being shown the songs for the first time and her mm-hmm. understanding what the narrative structure of the script is and having issues with it for that reason that and then it's like as we're saying like what once you're in the final act of the movie the yeah. movie kind of just abandons all of that interest and it's like no this movie's really about the manner in which Walt Disney, through his humanistic magic, was able to convince this cold, broken woman yes. that she should let him mm-hmm. take yeah. her character, it's her beloved not, character. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's, 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 you're not getting to what's so rotten about the ending of this movie. Like you're, you're almost giving the movie too much credit mm-hmm. uh, by saying it's just That's that. It's more true. than that. But yeah. like, look, if my understanding of what happens with this production is correct. The script exists. Disney, the corporation, kind of realizes that someone's going to try to make a movie about Walt, right? Yes. Because Walt is a character in this movie. And they kind of go into, like, brief crisis mode of, like, do we kill it or do we do it ourselves? And they decide to do it themselves, and they kind of Mm -hmm. stumble ass backwards into making the Disney biopic. Now, this is not a Disney biopic, but you can feel that they want it to be a Disney biopic. And I just feel like if Disney had just made a fucking, like, hagiographic as fuck Walt making Mm -hmm. Disneyland movie with Tom Hanks that has nothing to do with P.L. Travers, we're all in a better place. Right, the problem you is can though, tell that's what they want this movie to be. The problem is though, even Bob Iger, maybe not today, because I don't know what the fuck that man is thinking yeah. at any time. But back then, even those executives knew that you they could not get away with that. I know. Yeah, that's why they that's why they thought about killing this movie. Yeah, yeah, it, yes. it's a well, bad proposition. I would fucking watch the fucking disney bullshit prestige walt bi- uh, biopic by the way i'd fucking laugh that shit up twice on sundays you have no idea i'm know. such a dumb piggy it seems like basically that disney has is very resistant to doing a walt movie because there's no winning scenario there's no way with that yeah that's well, what i'm the, saying the, it's the like fa- you can't you literally can't get away with that i actually it, it do happen. think there's yeah. a thing they could do and i just said, let me hear the pitch I think you make oh, the Disneyland a... movie. Yes. I think you make the Disneyland movie, right? You make the movie about Well, they already Walt. did that, and it's called Dumbo. Well. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. Connor, have you seen Dumbo yet? No, I'm waiting until we get there. <laughs> Are you aware the villain of Dumbo is Walt Disney? I've been told by you, yes. <laughs> I know. I... <laughs> okay. So here's the thing. And Tim Burton is cast... Dumbo, right? Tim, Bur- yeah. Tim Burton has said yeah. that he is Dumbo. Yeah, yeah. Tim Burton yeah. is Dumbo. Colin plays the same character he does in this movie functionally. 
if we um let's we'll we'll table Hanks for a second. What if Michael Keaton plays Walt Disney in this movie? Okay. Well, this is the other thing is that like Here's have what you I guys hear. seen the founder? Yeah. Because yeah. the founder is a total bullshit hagiographic like triumph of capitalism biopic. It is probably John Lee Hancock's best movie. Probably. I like the I actually quite like the yeah. founder. I think the founder's a good time. I like the rookie just because sports movies fit his kind of mm-hmm. the uh, rookie is also really good. Yeah. The and but it just you know what I'm saying it's like the the inherent drama within a sports story fits his yes mainstream brand of melodrama like to a T. Yes. Uh but the the founder is the founder is the version that this movie never could have been because of the Walt Disney company yes. in which the founder does the founder presents itself as being like, look at all the ingenious maneuvers this Titan of industry had to do to, to ensure the creation of his empire. But it also like retains the cynicism of like, he essentially killed people by forcing them. into. I I don't think, I don't think that movie's at all cynical. You don't think so? No, I, I think that movie like pays lip service to being a little like this guy did some bad stuff. But I think at the end of the day, that movie's like, it's possible. You fucking got to hang with the big boys, baby. I haven't seen it since it since it's come out. And I may be I may be yeah. imposing upon it my own feelings about the mm, the, the founder yeah. listeners. If uh, you haven't seen it and we, which you haven't because no one saw it because it was a colossal bomb. It's it a is, Netflix movie, right? No, it wasn't. It was a theatrical released film. Oh. Uh, I saw it in the, I saw it at the fucking AMC River East here in downtown Chicago. The founder is John Lee Hancock's follow-up to this movie. Uh, it is about Ray Kroc, who is not the founder of McDonald's. Uh, so there, there's where you hit. It's Ray Kroc is the guy who franchised McDonald's, who turned McDonald's into like an empire. Yeah. Uh, he is pointedly not the founder of McDonald's. The McDonald brothers are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's a kind of a fun movie. Yeah, and that's I think you, that you, you because... have to admit to it at some extent it's it's a little bit more cynical about the Ray Kroc character than this movie is about Walt Disney. Oh sure, yeah, sure. Everything is more cynical <laughs> than this movie is about than Walt Disney. Okay, fucking flame the flame and hot Cheetos movie is more cynical <laughs> than this movie is about Walt Disney. The thing that's interesting about production of this movie is Iger specifically wants Hanks for Walt. And Hanks says he will only do this movie if he's allowed to play the darker side of Walt. And What's your favorite ju- part of this movie, Jeff? Mine's when uh, Walt says you can't let anyone see me smoking. That is... <laughs> okay, that was a multi-day negotiation. Hanks is insistent. I want one scene where I have a cigarette and Disney keeps saying no. And they compromise on he can hold it and stub it out and has to say an anti-smoking message Honor, after the can fact. I know that's something... a well-known thing about Can I can Walt I tell Disney you something or about true. the actual Walt Disney? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Connor, people who work at Disneyland have to point with two fingers like I'm doing right now in a tribute to Walt who always pointed with two fingers because he always had a cigarette in his hands. Like do you see what I'm doing? I know I yeah. listeners yeah. I know you can't see this but like 
That is a real thing they have to do. That's how much of that's how central smoking was to Walt Disney's public image. But isn't that no? It but was isn't isn't the to his character? Isn't the postmortem like myth that he he was a chain smoker but would not allow would attempt to not allow people see him smoke? That's no, like he's part of photograph smoking. That's that's. I'm not that's, saying he was entirely six. He yeah. wasn't like FDR with no. the polio standing up at at press conferences and stuff. No. In in his later years, he would attempt to hide it from like public photography and stuff that would go out to children. But that was yeah. the it's kind of where it landed. Only I know for years. a fact. I know from experience that even to this day, the Walt Disney Company, through even its subsidiaries like Searchlight, are still very just antagonistic against like any portrayal of well of the, but can, can, the walt yeah. disney company is very antagonistic towards any portrayal of anyone smoking that's what movie. i'm saying yeah. yeah not just walt even through searchlight can, which yeah. is like you so, would think would have free reign to be able to in a period piece <laughs> no yeah. less yeah yeah this year i was i saw uh, indiana jones and the dial of destiny Why? in motion pictures Why and when i sat down ever... to watch the, no, and here's the thing. I actually had this thought halfway through because Mads Mikkelsen's character lights a cigarette, and I was like, oh, Disney's letting this go in a movie that starts with the castle. And that's a that that is how like does that movie start with the castle? Stuff. It does start with the castle. Oh, death to everyone. Death it starts to with the castle involved. <laughs> it starts with the castle, then it goes to the Paramount Mountain, and you're like, oh, they're gonna do the Paramount Treasure. Then it goes to the Lucasfilm logo. Which folds into a metal grate on the back of a Nazi truck. Fuck off. Anyone involved in the production of that movie, I hope they don't sleep at night. <laughs> kind kind of kind of good movie that I like. <laughs> Did you see it's about to get passed as the eleventh highest grossing movie of the year? By Taylor Swift. I'm you know, that movie is for me and me alone. The, um nothing nothing is bringing me more joy than to see the trades like contort themselves backwards and into pretzels to try to like write stories to say that the Taylor Swift movie is a huge hit. Mm -hmm. When it's, it's like demonstrably it's not. <laughs> it's I mean, funny because if it had gone in with just not a hit. Connor, it opened $40 million less than predicted and has a 1.8 multiplier. That is not a hit. What do the what do what do concert films usually do? It doesn't matter. It this does matter. Other, what are you talking about? This is about? the other thing. This is the other thing is that everyone's exploiting a loophole to say this is the most successful concert movie of all time. The fix was in from the start because everyone's saying, "Oh, Michael Jackson's is this it? This is it? Is not a concert movie?" Sure, but yes, it is. I don't have any skin in the game. I just it, to me it feels like like kind of a behemoth for what it is. It's doing fine for what it is. That's what, but yeah. everyone kind of when it was announced was like this is going to be a juggernaut. This is going to be huge. Well, I know this like going to get moving... close to a billion dollars. Everyone needs to move out of the way and it's doing okay and no one's willing to concede that they predicted it wrong so they're just being like it's about to pass indiana jones so, okay. baby <laughs> so what you're saying what you're saying is i think the bigger issue is that like all of these market research metrics have been wrong for the yes. last however many years for the, yes. for my like conscious adult life all of these all of no, these prediction markers right. they got this one wrong i feel like they've gotten everyone 
wrong from this year and the and i don't know because i don't pay attention to it like you jeff (laughs) have they been off this year i feel like they've been good this year i feel like i feel like the issue is that the trades will publish studio numbers instead of market research numbers and the studio numbers this year have been wildly inflated yes studios have been they're always wrong but 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 like if you if you looked at like like the flash or like the marvels which just came out like the studio numbers were wrong the third party people called it right and the third party Mm -hmm. people called taylor swift as being a way bigger movie than it was going to be they're rarely wrong there's mm-hmm. no studio pumping out like fake numbers to like juice the opening weekend for that movie, right? Yeah, it's still it, it, for what it is. It still feels like kind oh, of like a yes, monster, yes. Uh, it needed to make five dollars yeah. to clear a profit. I'm not crazy here. Yeah. I just think it's fast. I am continually fascinated by Taylor Swift's like inability to translate her superstardom to the silver screen, and I do think this is a, of that that this movie is undeniably underperforming well yeah we'll she hasn't she had the breakthrough to success to... it's not just jeff it's not just that she hasn't had the breakthrough success it's that the last three times she was in a movie they were generational defining bombs yes yeah but they're also bad movies they're also well no they're cats also is great. bad cats, cats is a bad great. movie cats bad is a movie. great movie horrible movie. cats <laughs> is incredible i love cats <laughs> Um, oh my god because like um, i know i know the line on amsterdam was that the swifties all found out that she dies 30 seconds into that movie and they didn't <laughs> want to come out but like that movie didn't open well <laughs> that, that that information was not public by the time that movie had already bombed i think for people who are swifties they don't have any tolerance for a non taylor vehicle that might so be. the fact the fact that she is not the lead of any of these films is probably the biggest issues is probably the biggest the biggest gate at the door let that these swifties won't cross because to them it's almost disrespectful that you could cast taylor in a movie yes. and not have taylor be a fundamental aspect of the movie it's so i, I do kind of like understand it from that aspect i haven't really I haven't really looked much into the concert film, but just to me as somebody who I'm like, just the fact that a concert film is still in theaters getting mm-hmm. watched this often. Yeah, but it's playing to a lot impressive. of empty screens. Yeah. Uh, well, because it's like, once you once you see it the first time, I think you would maybe rather listen to Spotify. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, we can charts. You, you know what other movie was a big hit what? by its budget? Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, how did we get on to Taylor again? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, oh Saving Mr. Banks. Dial of Destiny. Because we have to talk about James Mangold every single week on this podcast. <laughs> no, that's um, right. That's right. Right back. Keep talking. Saving Mr. Banks. Where do we go from here? Yeah. What do you guys think so, about Colin in this movie? Let's just I think he's... I mean, I had talked with Cole when I first... And this is... And we even mentioned this in the Scrubs episode. This is one of the few movies where he kind of deals with alcoholism as a subject yes very true um and obviously i have less you know skin in the game and um, knowledge about his troubles and run afterward um but it seemed i kind of i find his you know emotional arc going through that in the movie kind of being about his children and the relationship with them 
very compelling and he seems really locked into it all yeah because i know he said like yeah from what we have been watching i know those episodes haven't been released yeah. yet and um and Cole's not even done editing them, so you can't listen to them. I haven't a single one yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, even considering what this movie is, which, in my opinion, is kind of, like, kind of hostile towards actual cinematic truth uh, that I'm looking <laughs> for, I, I do think that there is an aspect here within Colin's filmography where it's like, this is the first film in a long time that, one, he's being asked to be a larger than life cinematic figure and mm. two he seems very invested in in what this film is trying to do and what it's trying to accomplish yes. at least emotionally which in, he has not which has not been reflected in in uh, m- seven psychopaths because he's worked with mcdonough before and because he's mm. being asked to give interesting dialogue but other than that if we're looking at fright night if we're looking at london boulevard if we're looking at dead man mm. down be nicer uh, to london boulevard london boulevard has the potential to be going, a good movie. there's some stuff going on in that it one. has the potential to be a good movie but it, it is a at, at its core it is a ship that has left port and it's yeah it's not it's not landing anytime soon yeah there is a world where saving mr banks is better and freed from the baggage that kind of killed this movie from the start yeah right Mm -hmm. where colin is like a theoretical supporting actor nominee i like that's the kind of that's the kind of role this is even if he never even came close for this movie like signing on to it i can see like that that could be the play the problem he runs into is that Disney only campaigns Hanks. For best well, I know that. I year. mean, the real problem he runs into is this movie is not taken seriously from the jump because of the like obvious stench of corporate propaganda and on the of, whole thing. This is really this is 2013. We're really coming to a time when people are very invested in 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 historical reevaluation of these people in history and this does get yeah. some oscar nominations it only gets score it only gets score. i thought it got costumes too i must okay score's nice what yeah, i like a, about him a Thomas yeah Thompson. okay what i like about him a lot here is that in the moments when the character is at his deepest he's allowing the character to be cruel it seems like mm. something it seems like something that colin identified that colin yeah. is bringing to the role sure. that wasn't there on the page and it's essential for this movie, if you're drawing the comparison with Mary Poppins, for him to go to that place at the end. Yeah. Like, his choices, especially near the end, where, like, he's, you know, he reads the poem from his daughter and um, is asking for the liquor bottle. Like, you really need him to go to that low place if you want the end of this movie, true or not, to sell with her emotional reaction to Mr. Banks. Um, And so I, I thought that Colin really... um stepped up to the the plate in this movie and it's i think it's a a pretty wonderful performance that maybe the movie doesn't fully deserve i think he's very willing and he he and both emma he and emma thompson together bring it up in that interview that they gave only you know 10 months ago that he's very willing to like tap into his own demons and and Mm. allow that to like come through on screen and i do like i really commend him here 
for I think there are ways that you could play this that you could play this character, no pun in, intended, as a cartoon of an actual human being. And like yeah. in the way that this film is fashioned aesthetically, in the way it's shot, in the way that the scenes play out, in its melodramatic like activity. I do, like a lot of the performances, cough, cough, the Giamatti one get kind of <laughs> boiled down in that way. But Colin is like what I recognize now in my late twenties, as opposed to when I saw it, when I was a teenager initially is like, he understands that this man is at the lowest depths of like melancholy of depression mm -hmm. of maybe bipolar. And like, he, he is identifying that. And he is saying like, that battle with mental health, if you're not, if you're not one seeking out the support that you need or to like receiving the support that you need, it is a losing battle. You can't get, you cannot push that mm. boulder up the hill. And it's like, I think what other actors struggle with are the scenes, especially concerning alcoholism, when a character that you know has a drinking problem and you can see them continuing to drink to oblivion and anyways, and they kind of play it as like, the character, I think the mistake a lot of films make is it reads as though the character is being forced to drink by the film. Yeah. Not by their own interiority. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Is like Absolutely. as a as a plot device of the film, alcoholic characters tend to have to drink because it is what the film demands of them to put other plot points into motion. And in this one, Colin seems to understand that it's like, no, this man has to drink because this man fundamentally does not want to be alive, at least in this world, and at least in this reality. And he is drinking because it is the only way that he is identified maybe subconsciously to survive. And maybe I'm giving this movie too much credit, but like, I genuinely see this stuff in his performance on screen. No, I'd agree with that fully. Um, to draw the comparison like I, I Connor you said you watched Mary Poppins last night as well yeah yeah I you know I think that the the great success of that movie is the way that it does succeed at humanizing Mr. Banks at the end I agree and yeah. I'm particularly fond of David Tomlinson's performance in that movie um it's like he's in that in bed knobs and broomsticks I'm not sure what else he has done this career that's all I've seen but I find you know Herbie the, uh, the love bug. Thing. I think he's the villain. Is he Herbie? Uh, maybe he's in Herbie the love bug. I'm pretty sure. Let me let me check. I actually. I'm got it. Check. I got it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. He plays the boss, I guess, in Herbie. I've never seen the love bug, um, but he's definitely in the love bug. He's like a Disney stock guy. He is the yeah. owner of the automobile yeah. showroom where Herbie yeah. is purchased. Yeah. Okay. But I, I think he taps into the same idea that you're talking about with Colin, which even though that movie, you know, take doesn't have an alcohol subplot, it has an, you know, a overworker subplot. Um, I think that it's the same thing where, like, you f understand this character and it lets him go to a place of cruelty so that the end is more triumphant in a way, um, just in the same way that Colin is allowed to go to a place of cruelty. So Mr. Banks's redemption in Mary Poppins is more emotionally successful of that character. Even if in real life, it was a much different story. Um, yeah. For what this movie's trying to accomplish. Uh, Colin is, is he's bringing it and is able to tap into that. Just his ability to, this is stemming back yeah. to even like, he has not done this since he was in the new world, mm -hmm. but to be able to be that kind of like 
at times in this movie, especially in the beginning before the alcoholism becomes very prominent yeah. and before the depression becomes very prominent. He, he like the film allows him to be that fairy tale style. Yeah. He's got the flappy hair. Whimsical the curls, like yeah. the, the bangs. Just the, the fact, fact that, that like, you... he's indulging so much in these fantasies yeah. that his daughters are, are coming up with and that it it's, it, He's just also a joy to see him be able to do that, especially after we watch stuff like Dead Man Down yeah, when he's yeah. just has a frown uh, on his face yeah. for the entire movie. I I had this thought last week, but as stated, it is impossible to talk about the movie Epic. Um, so I didn't bring it up. <laughs> um, but something has kind of happened around this point in his career where his voice has gotten like half a step lower. Have you noticed that his, his his voice feels like it's just gotten a little huskier it's as he's hit? Lower. I hmm. think it's also gotten in a way though. It is lower, but it's also soft. Like his delivery is softer. Yes, it's you both those things. Saying? Like yeah. like like he, 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 there there's just such a, a melodiousness to hearing him talk, and especially to hearing him do what is functionally like annoying finding Neverland bullshit. Um, that like he makes sing because it's just so pleasurable to like yeah. see him traipsing around with these girls and hear that voice like spinning these these adventure tales and you're just like you're just in love with him like you get the the sort of immediate relationship between the daughter and him and this like hero yeah. worship thing because you're just so delighted to see him have this much energy on screen and then it's 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 sad to see it get sapped it could have been the whole movie even if i'm aware i'm just functionally pitching yeah yeah finding neverland uh <laughs> another movie i do not care for at all you know, something I I feel I feel about Colin is that he really taps into. He just has a face that you love. He has puppy dog. He has a puppy dog face. That's, That's true. true. Yeah, he has big puppy dog eyes, and he taps into that in Banshees of Inisherin. Um, just even when he's doing, you know, terrible things in movies, he just has this like cute face, um, that you're always drawn to and always willing to forgive. Jeff, have you seen and A Home at the End of the World? I've listened to the episode, but I haven't seen the movie. If you watch that movie, though, there there are moments in that movie where you're like, Colin, you gotta you gotta lay off with the puppy dog eyes, like <laughs> never, never, never. He's he's fucking bringing it 120 percent now. Because this whole movie, you just like you're immediately attracted to this guy, and you're just you know you have immediate sympathy for him, even if he doesn't say anything, just by the look of him. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's genuinely heartbreaking to watch because yeah. he, the way he is introduced is like, I wish this was my dad. Everybody in the world wishes yeah. that this was their dad. This kind of, this romantic Edwardian character mm. that believe, like seems to genuinely believe in in the, the magic of life, the magic of being alive. And then this is why, this is why I wish the movie actually, because it's, it seems at times in the beginning like it is genuinely interested in what who is Mary Poppins actually supposed to be? Like what is that mm. characterization there and what is it supposed to accomplish? And that that that's why the movie leave, like in conjunction with the historical problems concern and the yeah. corporate issues that it has at the end. The biggest sin to me is probably that 
it just drops this question of like, who is Mr. Banks and who is Mary Poppins? Yeah. Which are the two most important questions at the beginning of the film. It just like seems to completely drop it by, by the point you get to the end. So at, 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 at the crux of this movie, I think is this idea that, you know, it's in the title. Mr. Banks is her dead father, right? That she wants to write, uh, th- th- that in in writing this children's book, she is basically giving her father the like redemptive ending he doesn't get in real life, right? That is yeah. that is literally in yeah. the title of the film. Um, insanely, this movie kind of lays that all out in the first twenty minutes, and then has that be the twist. At the yeah. end, which yeah, made very me like, want to tear my hair out. That, that's um, part of the reason why it doesn't play is because also when you're at the end, you're like, we already, everybody in this movie understands. Yeah, you figured out very that Yeah, boring. That's that. I find that, yeah. I find that like pat psychoanalysis to be so uninteresting. And that is why I think I like can't fully lock in maybe to the to to call in the character not the performance but the character yeah. because it's such a such a weirdly like overwritten fantasy in a way yeah. that like i am kind of rolling my eyes whenever we cut back to the outback because i'm like i know what this is going to be even if it has the calm performance and also the fucking ruth wilson performance which i think is even better than colin's performance yeah. because there's no lovability there right like she doesn't have the Ruth Wilson is also playing the like depths of darkness as as her mother, but, but she's all, not giving you the like warmth at all. All of this connects. All of this connects in a very interesting manner to the first third of the present day storyline with sure. the film. Because the, yeah. the she's like, why is the mom a suffragette? And they're like, well, people would ask why she's not taking care of the kids if she's at home. And and uh, P.L. Travers is like, well, it's hard to take care of kids. Like. People need help sometimes. Not every parent mm-hmm. is equipped with what, it, and it's like she's speaking from this thing that that she understands deeply that she experienced, and that is that's what the movie needs to be about. Is like, yeah, how did how does how does the the very traumatic childhood that P.L. Travers lived through? How does that relate to this like Disney-fied, calculated storytelling? that ends up on screen if you want to make it about the on-screen portrayal and even you could go beyond that and it's like in the state that the movie is in the biggest problem if i'm being 100 percent honest like if you're not going to pull anything the biggest problem is like why walt disney doesn't get saved in this movie Mm because he doesn't have to because he's walt disney so if you're going to make this a good movie you got to put walt disney in a position where he needs to be saved also Mm, but he has been saved I disagree. I don't think I'm not. Well, okay, let me that. let me let me break this down. Okay, because yeah. he shows up, he's like, "Oh, my dad was mean." No, but and I understand. No, 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 no. That's what. Okay, let me. I feel like we should do a quick plot run through. Yeah, yeah, hit it. Just to clarify, so yeah, yeah. The movie is Saving Mr. Banks. is directed by John Lee Hancock. It stars Emma Thompson, Tom Hanks, Colin Farrell. B.J. Novak, Paul Giamatti, Jason Schwartzman, Bradley Whitford, Ruth Wilson, a couple other people. Um, Okay, like I said, two narratives. The first narrative is around the turn of the 20th century in Australia. P.L. Travers, real name Helen Goff, uh, is a child living in the outback. Their family has to consistently move because their father keeps 
losing jobs due to his alcoholism. So he's they move further manager. deeper and deeper into the outback. So they end up in a small town where he becomes a bank manager. She loves her father, but his alcoholism grows and grows and grows until he functionally begins to drink himself to death. Um, her mother also is overwhelmed with like suicidal depression due to having to take care of the children and her dying husband uh, and eventually does try to commit suicide, but is saved by a young Helen. Eventually, the family hires a governess to take care of the kids who instills in them the value of hard work. I think it's their uh, aunt. It's their aunt. It's the mom's sister. It's the yeah. mom's sister. But uh, Colin Farrell still ends up passing away, though not before mending the broken fences with his daughter. In the present day- He has he consumption, also, right? That's what he's- I think that's what it is, but it's yeah, also, yeah. yeah. He's just weakened himself from the drink. Part of it is like, you know, we've seen Ask the Dusk, so it's a like- A much better movie than this. A much better movie than this, you piece yeah, of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> I, I had to I had to think about it for a second because that's also a movie we had fundamental issues with, but uh, in total. Don't say we, don't better. say we, don't say we. That movie rules. You didn't have any issues with Ask the <laughs> That Dawson. movie's a perfect masterpiece. That is the that, that is not crimson. what you said during the, the podcast um, recording. Uh, in the in the present day, P.L. Travers is a famous children's book author, having written the uh series of Mary Poppins books. I think well, she's just written the first one. No, she's written several. Yes. Has, she's written several. I, maybe just the first two. She's written like four. I look I looked at the chronology here. But she's writing um, the third one. She is I think, not at the yet end of the started movie. writing. She's actually writing the fifth one at the end of the movie. Okay. Um, uh, she writes the fourth one while this movie is taking place, actually, uh, and that's not a plot point of the movie at all. Yes, um, I am wrong. Cole is right. Yep. She had written. She had written, I believe, three. Yes. No, she's right. Yeah, she's right. Anyway, she's she's a popular children's book author. Walt Disney has spent several decades trying to get her to sign over the rights to Mary Poppins, which she does not want to do because she thinks Walt will just make a dumb children's movie out of it. Eventually, it is the early 60s. She is broke. And so she goes over to Hollywood, to Disney Studios, to try to broker a peace deal with Walt. Uh, she has been granted full script approval, so she sits in on the script meetings, and she hates every single idea they throw at her, and she's resistant to everything. And it's clear that, like, to some degree, she just won't let this project go forward because Mr. Banks is a stand-in for her father, and she does not want someone else to touch this character that she's created. Um, And eventually everything breaks down. She goes to England, uh, back to England. Walt Disney finds out about her past and follows her to England and basically (laughs) tells her that you think you had a shitty relationship with your dad. My dad was actually abusive and that turned me into a titan of industry. So you need to grow up and shut up and let me make this movie. (laughs) And she's like, thank you, Walt. You're so wise. You've cured all (laughs) my problems. And then she literally embraces Mickey Mouse and cries at the premiere, all her problems having been solved by the genius of Walt Disney. Can I tell you how fucking like livid I was when she hugs Mickey Mouse, dude? I on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I so literally crazy. like I'm so, saying I I literally could not remember why I didn't like this movie, like why I had such bad feelings about this movie from 2013. And then when I when I got to the point when Hank shows up in England, I was like, is this is 
is this about to be really bad? And then I was this like, is, this oh, is wow, where, this is yeah. really bad. This is where it yeah. gets evil because he literally <laughs> does sit down and basically say, like, abuse makes us strong. Abuse makes us powerful. You know, fucking California Uberales. Uh, and then he tells that, her to fucking knock it off, basically. Even beyond that, he's basically like, you have issues about your dad. Well, I have real fucking issues. About exactly. My dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, See, your dad got sick and died. Well, my dad would beat me and not let me be good mm-hmm. at school, yeah. which is essentially he what he says. And he yeah. basically tells her that like her emotional, personal attachment to her own books is fucking meaningless yeah. because she has no real problems and she needs to like, seed everything to him and then not only does she do that but when she goes to the red carpet she fucking like hugs an actor in a mickey mouse outfit and then walks down the red carpet with him and it's just like she has been subsumed like this is where the movie gets evil there's just this onslaught Mm. he he gives this monologue and then there's just an onslaught of disney iconography and you're just like it's like submit 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 i feel like i fucking put on the sunglasses from they live it's just so <laughs> scorched earth Disney supremacist. It made me like so uncomfortable. Dude, and that also... it's in the context of alcoholism, suicide, abusive parents, that the like the movie pauses the solution to that is like fucking embrace the mouse. Yeah. Is just oh, oh Dude, my but, god. Uh... <laughs> Also, the speech that he gives her is essentially like if this is a Martin Scorsese movie, it's like Jordan Belfort on the phone yeah. with people convincing yes. them to to hand over their life savings. And then like I imagine Walt Disney gets off, gets at like he he leaves her house, he goes to the first payphone and like calls another Disney exec and he's like, I fucking landed it, man. <laughs> it's like we're we're in the but clear. It's presented as yeah. him saving her. I know. So this is yeah. why I say Walt doesn't need to be saved in this movie because Walt has already been saved. He has saved himself through That's being stupid. the greatest genius. But that is the so philosophical dumb. thrust of this movie yeah. is that you have to be great. right? You have to be capital G great. You have to succeed at everything. And who has done that better than Walt Disney? Mm-hmm. And, and that's Travers sense- needs to let Walt Disney be great. See, Just throw in something easy. Something we've seen a million times before. His kids don't really talk to him that much anymore because he's older. And then because of this whole thing, he becomes a better dad and whatever. Just throw something like that in so that he has some kind of You are literally pitching some kind of development. You are pitching the good version of this movie, which is a movie that actually exists. Should we do the Hanks Rushmore? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm ready. Should should we do it right now before I start talking about this movie? Okay, because maybe it'll come up. Because I think it might be my pick. Yeah, I'm ready. Pick. I'm trying yeah. to think of what what it is that. Okay. Connor, uh, I'm Jeff, not there yet. But... Jeff, you yes. are. You get. You get. You get first and last. I know you've been prepping I, for this. This is Tom such an Hanks, honor. Mount Rushmore, a normal uh, actor who goes first that between we have us two, no bro. strong feelings about. Um, fuck, bro. I don't remember. I blacked out that last episode. You can go first. Okay. <laughs> uh well okay. Woody 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 was the last one. And I think you went first for Woody, right? Was Woody the last one? I think Woody was the last one. Didn't um, we close with the Woodman? Y- or did I go first? Just you go first. Just you go first. It's fine. I think you went first. I think you went first. Then you go first. It's fine. Okay. Uh, so I go first, right? Okay. You go yeah. first. So yeah, but Jeff about, actually goes first. So, yeah, we're talking about between okay. the two of us. So I, there's only one choice for me for the first one, 
Um, and I gotta, I gotta pay respects to the hometown. Um, in a performance that I also very much like, and yet still might be the second best performance in the movie. It's with Philadelphia, the third best performance in the movie. But continue. I'm gonna yeah, say Philadelphia. Philadelphia. I am from Philadelphia, believe it or not. You know, we've never talked about this before. Um, Jeff, how do you think about the fact that uh, Bruce Springsteen, who is from New Jersey, uh, wrote the greatest song about the state of Pennsylvania of all time? Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you know, broken clock is right twice a day. Um, <laughs> well, Frank Sinatra wrote the greatest song about New York, so yeah. No, he didn't. No, he fucking didn't. Oh, he didn't write it. He didn't write. He didn't it. fucking yeah, write that yeah, shit. Yeah, that's Kander true. and that's Ed true, wrote that shit. Fucking Kander Fred. I took. It was a mistake. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Show some respect yeah. to those guys. They fucking wrote Chicago and Cabaret. Okay, <laughs> they're fucking good as hell. <laughs> In in all actuality, I do think, you know, Hanks has had so many different modes in his career and so many different like kind of eras to his career. I do think that there has to be some representation for the early 90s. And I thought about saying Forrest Gump just to cause chaos. Um, my, my veto is but, gone, by the way. But I, I do think, yeah. <laughs> but I do find his performance in Philadelphia somewhat extraordinary. Um, would you veto Philadelphia? Cool. No, but I would veto fucking Gump. I veto Gump every day. I <laughs> and that's Danny. <laughs> and that's why no, I'm, I'm going to say Philadelphia. Um, also always. because it's, of the, the hometown. It's the dream comedic actor goes does like a go for broke dramatic yes. performance, right? Like it's the 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 probably the best any oh, of yeah. those had ever been. Yeah, and I think you kind of need it on the rush more for that aspect. Yeah, it's his I first actually, Oscar. You you alluded to the fact that you think the Denzel performance is better. Than, uh, Connor. Yes. Have we never had this conversation? We will in a couple weeks. I think that's his best performance ever. I don't think I agree with that. It's not a bad performance. It's not a bad performance. But I I do, when I watch that movie, I do think they're genuinely on the same footing. Yeah, I just I think that Denzel performance is extraordinary. Uh, The the other one I would put above the Hanks, and this is just because I love Philadelphia so much. Steenberg and his fucking like landing threes all over that movie. Antonio Banderas is Banderas rules too. Everyone's great in fucking any Jonathan Demme movie. (laughs) But Philadelphia is a masterpiece. Everyone's great in Philadelphia. Um. Well, what I was going to say was, to me, Denzel and Hanks, part of the reason the movie works as well as it does is because it is watch. It is like watching two great tennis players just volley the ball back and forth yeah. to each other. Um, if yeah. I think Denzel is slightly better, it's like by 1%. Um, I'm, I'm putting Hanks on the rush more, so clearly I'm still very fond of his performance. Yeah, it's it, a, it is, it's it a is deserving a, like, Oscar. It, mm. it, it is like one of those... It is... I think it I think it is perfectly encapsulated in the opera scene in that that's film. Fucking when that's when an incredible Hanks, sequence. When movie. they're just like fucking rip the cork out of the bottle, Tom, and yeah. he's just going for it, which is what he's the best at. Like, mm-hmm. why is Tom Hanks so great? Because when Tom Hanks goes for it, he usually lands the plane. He he's yes. he's not as as many plane crash movies as he's in. He's not typically crashing the plane. He's typically how doing a forced water movies? landing. How, how many plane crash movies has he done? Uh, at least, at least two. two. Just one. No, Castaway. Castaway. Cast Sully. Sully. Sully is not a crash. It's all. Oh, it's the a plane does not crash. Water the land. plane yeah. does not crash. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, and then with Denzel, it's like. 
has there ever been a better performance of just a guy watching another guy in that scene? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, they're they're magnificent. That's a that's a wonderful movie that like the volumes of sympathy that you see yeah. in Denzel's uh, eyes when it's like mm. things are making sense to him for the first time in this guy's yeah. entire life. Yeah. Connor. Hopefully it's it's in a very, very long time. But when Tom Hanks dies, uh you and me are gonna do a Tom Hanks pod and we're gonna call it Hanks for the memories. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully it's not soon. Yeah, hopefully it's a very yeah. long time. Please, God, please don't let this happen. Uh, all right. Um, it's Here my pick. Uh, I think he is amazing in Philadelphia. I don't yes. want to talk about Forrest Gump, even though he won the Academy Award for because that. He's bad in it. What I'm going to go with, Jenna. and I think I think I I I probably know what Cole is going to pick, and even if it's one of the five that I think Cole might pick, it's it's a, probably a movie that I agree with full heartedly. Um, the reason I'm going to pick this one is because in my head from my youngest years, when I saw it, I kind of consider okay. it to be the platonic ideal of big mainstream melodra- melodramatic movie acting. And that's Castaway. Cause like mm. he does everything in Castaway. He utilizes every skill that you would want from an actor that can carry uh, a movie of mm. that magnitude a movie of that size a movie of that kind of like mythical storytelling weight which is just like man against the survival mm. who loves a woman who wants to get back to that woman and like to relate it like we love Colin Farrell but at least to this point in the podcast he has not shown that he he would be able to to achieve that kind of stature on screen and that kind of varied humanity that Hanks yeah. like is so easily capable of tapping into and that's why i'm going to pick castaway yeah it's it's also you know i i know i say this a lot but it's the phone booth rule right yeah yeah if if the movie's good and and the movie is that carried by one performance the performance de facto has to be considered a great performance i mean just think it's like it's a one man it's a one man show exactly He he does a physical transformation he carries like he carries like one of the more iconic emotional scenes in cinematic history and he's literally just yelling at a volleyball yeah like and then you have the end of the movie when he when he makes it back and he's dealing with like all the people that he left in his life and it's just absolutely devastating each step each step of the way and then you deal with the very very end of the movie which is like such a corny thing but he's still able to pull it off it's just the end end of that movie is the best part of the movie it's it's hats off to him all all the all the back off the island stuff the third act of castaway is the best stuff and castaway there there is a very small pool of actors in the history of hollywood the history of i could probably count them on both of my hands and, and nothing more that would be able to do something like that pull that on off. screen he, he's he's remarkable in castaway um i mean like you said he just yankers the whole movie what if i had picked forrest gump <laughs> what if i just said it I have no idea how I feel about Forrest Gump. I really don't. I like, I remember seeing it as a little kid and mm. having a lot, like simply not understanding the cultural aspect. Like when I, when yeah. I, the first time I saw the movie, I did not realize that Jenny had AIDS and that's why she was dying. Yeah. Like I thought I, I just like assumed she had cancer because I had known of people who like mm. had lost a parent to cancer or something like that. So, so like, that's just an example of all the stuff that I did not understand. I also did not understand the whole, like, 
I don't know if I've ever brought this up on the podcast, but both of my parents are physical therapists and my mom deals primarily with children who have some kind of developmental disability, um, whether that be something mental or just something physical. Like she, my mom has spent the last 30 years teaching children how to walk essentially, or like teaching mm -hmm. children how to like use their motor skills correctly. So watching Forrest Gump when I was like, however young I was like, Oh, I know so many people like this. There's nothing like mm -hmm. I, it, it didn't occur to me that this was like a take on a mentally challenged character at all. Yeah. Cause I had just like grown up around people with those kinds of issues. And, uh, for a movie that's existed that long within my head, I just have absolutely no idea what my take on it is. <laughs> is I don't even know if I have a take. That on is it. also one of the more evil movies I've ever seen in my life is Forrest Gump. It's just when you're a little kid, it's like you could you could get so easily taken away with like oh yeah, this is history yeah. and we're listening to all That's the music what, what's and John evil Lennon's about on it. screen and like yeah. yeah. I I I I don't want to get too deep in the, the weeds with Forrest Gump. The thing about Forrest Gump is that it is such an evil movie about essentially a living avatar of America just walking through and causing destruction and death <laughs> everywhere he goes. And that's the, the of Forrest Gump like, is this thing good? No, that's the not. thing about it's it. Not, that's the thing no, about it. It's, it's not. like everything that you could criticize the movie for being bad could also get flipped around and be like, is this actually <laughs> have, a subversive take? And that's have you guys said. seen Spiral from the Book of Saw? No, no. Um, are you aware that Spiral from the Book of Saw starts with Chris Rock functionally doing a stand-up set that's about Jenny giving Forrest Gump AIDS? No, no. <laughs> Like, like Spiral from the Book of Saw basically starts with the like, oh, we're doing the Tarantino thing where they're just like sitting around shooting the shit about pop culture. Right. But it's just Chris Rock being like, Jenny gave him AIDS. Jenny gave him AIDS. <laughs> uh, right. oh. OK, well, it's your pick. Connor, I think you think I'm going to post it. Right. I, I I know that you I know that's in your like your personal Mount Rushmore it's it's, it's definitely in your personal because the Mount thing Rushmore. the thing yeah. about the thing about the post is that like do you know how hard it is to give a performance that good that is completely a hundred percent different from the Oscar winning <laughs> incredibly iconic and beloved performance yeah. of that same man because he's playing the guy Robards plays in mm. uh like, and just on a difficulty level, you kind of want to give it to the post. On, on paper, sheer... on paper, the Ben Bradley role also reads like a, a typical Hanks role. Yes. when you're just thinking about not... it, and then the way he plays it is like he's never had this kind of drive in a movie before. Exactly. Where like I just think Something. about the scene when the associate journalist walks into his office and he just points his finger at him and he's yeah. like, "No!" And the guy just walks. <laughs> he just does. He does an immediate 180 and just walks right back out of the office. Tempting. Not going with it. Tempting. I love the post. I do think You've Got Mail is like an insanely virtuosic performance that like completely hides how he's like fucking doing the most difficult gymnastics routine of all time mm -hmm. to make that move, that script work. Pushing it aside. Connor, do you know what's it. notable about Castaway? Uh, I mean, in, there's in a lot Hanks, of things. But in tell Hanks me, career, though. Tell me what's it, notable. It, it in started Hanks. a run where he fucking could not get arrested by the Oscars. Right. Oh yeah. There's yeah. an almost two decade stretch following Castaway where Tom Hanks does not get an Oscar nomination no matter what he does. Yeah. Connor, you said you wanted to see a version of this where Walt Disney has a bad relationship with his kids, where he's maybe I a actually, little more insidious. 
where he gets saved in the act of saving the actual protagonist of the movie. Connor, the movie you're describing is the movie I'm picking. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh. Don't owe. Interesting pick. Don't owe. That is an astounding performance. I'm not vetoing it, but it's it's an interesting pick. Because, okay, you know what? why Hanks is good in that movie because Hanks plays Mr. Rogers is a fucking layup like Hanks plays Walt Disney is a mm-hmm. layup. And I'll just say it right now. I think Tom Hanks is dreadful in Saving Mr. Banks. Um, Cause I think mm-hmm. he's just fucking sleepwalking through being like, I can do this. This is the easiest casting of all time. It just lands. Yeah. I don't need to do anything. He could have done that in a beautiful day in the neighborhood. He doesn't do that. He plays Mr. Rogers as a piece of shit in that movie. And that's why that performance is so good. Hanks is playing an asshole who is choosing to behave like a sweet, nice guy at every given moment. And you constantly Mm. can see the gears turning in this human being who is suppressing his natural instinct to be meaner, to be louder, to like snap at people because he knows he can't ever be that person he is naturally inclined to be. And he knows he doesn't want to be the person he's naturally inclined to be. And it's such a multi-layered like impression of this guy who is literally a cartoon version of himself that we all have this weird relationship with this like extremely parasocial relationship with that Hanks is like, well, this was a real human being who had to like walk through the world. How do you like exist as Mr. Rogers? You have to choose to be Mr. Rogers. And of course that is a movie about how Mr. Rogers, kids hate him because how annoying would it be to have Mr. Rogers as your dad? Mm -hmm. You can't do that. I don't know. I think that's a beautiful Beautiful performance. I think he probably should have won the Oscar that year. That's a beautiful movie and a beautiful who wins. That is a, who wins that and year? a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, fucking Brad Pitt in oh Once for Hollywood. Uh, mm, okay. Do I think Hank should have won when Pesci and Pacino for The Irishman are also in there? Pesci, maybe astounding. Pesci's just astounding in that movie. Yeah, and Hanks is really fucking astounding in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, that was I a good. Uh, that was a good supporting actor roster. It's a good sporting actor, I mean, except for the fact yeah. that Brad Pitt's in there. And then he wins. Who's the um, fifth nominee that year? Oh, it's fucking Hopkins in The Two Popes. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking Hopkins as Benedict the Sixteenth. One I, I respect the pick. It just doesn't read for me um mm-hmm. as deeply. That's fine. You can be wrong. Yeah. You know, Cole, I'm gonna have to thank you. Yeah. Um oh, fuck. Because, fuck. You know, because I I I figured that this needed a this needed a like early 90s hanks and you needed someone you needed a hanks from his like 2010s run of like dependable guys yes and i would consider beautiful day in the neighborhood to be a part of that even if it's somewhat a so i don't feel a need to pick bridge of spies anymore which was what fucking good in bridge of spies though jeff i was hoping you were gonna pick the post or something from that era well you could still pick the post you could do it i could I you could post it, but this was of me get all of these. Of all of these, to me, there's like a very obvious one. I just I and don't know if this the post. Gonna land with. <laughs> you yeah. guys are are letting me get freaky with it now. Oh God! Um, if you do, I'm gonna say Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Not the obvious one I was thinking of. It could have been worse. What does he say? He's like, say? 
Okay. Um, true, true. Here's, here's the philosophical... six characters. Okay, like here's, here's the question we need to answer, actually, because this has never come up. Connor, does Jeff have to pick one of them? Or uh, can no. the whole body of work in the movie stand? No, it's the whole one body soul. of work. They're one I think, soul. I think if we're dealing like a movie like this, it cannot, it can never be like, it can never be on the back of one of the performances alone. Like they, they all have to amount, they all have to okay. add up to being that good or, or they all have to offset one that's like atrociously bad. That, that, that's the, the type of thinking I'm okay. going to put on there. I'll, I'll allow that able, ruling. In Clyde Ellis, Hanks is able to track a character arc across six different characters because he starts as the villain and ends as the hero. And he's able to maintain and track that across six different short films, essentially, directed by different people. And he manages to keep his internal compass set okay. on where that character is progressing to. Connor, what okay. did you think I was going to pick? My Well, I, didn't, I actually didn't think you were going to pick it. But mm-hmm. to me, the obvious choice is like what we were missing was uh, Tom Hanks is really good at his fucking job performance. And to yeah. me, it's uh, Captain Phillips is like by far the best. Tom Hanks is <laughs> well, like really good okay, at Well, okay, but job. Jeff, Jeff, yeah. I know you've locked your pick in. Have you yes. considered that he has the sniffles and is tired I, in Bridge of Spies? <laughs> I've, considered, I've also considered 155 souls. Um, if, if I was alone picking a Hanks um, Rushmore, it would be big... Philadelphia, Bridge of Spies, Cloud Alice. That would be the four. One from each, like kind of That's thing he does. I don't know if I, I don't know if I cross over at all with that. I think if if, if it's me picking, it's yeah. we should all three of us do it. Big, you've got mail. The post, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Mm. I'm, uh, what did I pick? Castaway. So I'm obviously yeah. Castaway. <laughs> And then I think for me, you need one of the rom-coms. So for me, it's Sleepless in Seattle. Sure. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, it's the it's the relationship with his kid. And then just sure. the fact that like, how many other actors can actually pull off the fact where it's not creepy that they're actually like, I'm going to date this woman at the end of the movie. And, yeah. and how when many other her. actors can pull off the fact that it's not creepy that he like gaslights her? Yeah. And you've got mail. Exactly. Um, and then I'm going probably with, captain phillips because you need a tom hanks is really good at his job um which isn't necessarily what the castaway performance is the castaway performance is like good at his job he is good he's very good at his job the castaway castaway performance is this is a man that's learning how to survive which which is no but he's good at his job at working for fedex yeah yeah. but that's not what saves the day (laughs) you know what i mean where like in captain phillips it's like he's just such a good captain that that's what's thrusting him to be able to like it's insane that he didn't get a best actor nomination it's 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 the ending that movie movie was nominated for best picture that's what we're talking about here and the ending of the movie is like one of the hardest things he's ever had to pull off in his entire career Mm -hmm. that like like, just immediate like post post shock not even like trauma like like literally like aftermatic shock of like what had happened and then truly need to nominate bruce stern for nebraska is all i'm gonna say on my million dollars (laughs) (laughs) and then i would think that uh for similar reasons to castaway my soul want, would want me to go with Saving Private Ryan because of the ending of the movie as well. But mm. 
I'm burn actually, this. I think I, burn yeah, this. exactly, man. It's it. another thing where it's like, if it's not Hanks, does that work in any way whatsoever? If it's not Hanks at the end of Saving Private Ryan. I'm proud of the four of us for all, but just decided to do this and none of us picking one of the fucking I'm not, I, I actually, I actually think Asteroid City is like, he's very good in Asteroid City. I think mm-hmm. if I had my personal Rushmore, I would put I would probably put Asteroid City on. And I th- it, it's crazy to see is his career going to really take off into the Tom Hanks is like Tom Hanks is like a a, a spunky grandpa type phase of his career. You know what I mean? God, he's got a fucking Benicio del Toro spy movie in the in the pipeline. Oh, What's so that good. gonna be? Ugh. Not to spoil our last episode of the season, but like, God, Wes Anderson, put Colin Farrell in one of your fucking movies, please. I literally was having this thought yesterday. I was like, what if Colin was in a Wes Anderson movie? That'd be so nice. You know, you know who I really think should be in a Wes Anderson movie? And I, in fact, not to be rude to Hanks and Asteroid City, because I've said it's a great performance, but this just feels like there's an actor who I think should work with Wes. And the obvious role for him to play in one of the more recent West movies is the grandfather in Asteroid City. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, Tom Cruise, Mapeth of the Fourth. Dude, no. He'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Did, I think, didn't you talk about this on the, um, the, Megorium, no, like, uh, maybe episode. we might might have said this in the fucking Doctor Parnassus episode, Mister Megorium's Wonder Room for you. Yeah, I, I, I get those two movies. I should have watched. I should have watched Mister Megorium's Wonder Room for you. Oh, no, Jeff, I say it on the podcast that I was convinced for the longest time that they were like twin movies that they like took place in the same universe. Uh, is Jeff, is oh tell Tom Becca Hanks, that though, when we do Natalie Portman, she has to come on for Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Tom Hanks, though, yeah, she'll, I'm sure, is <laughs> not great in uh, Saving Mr. Banks. He is bad in Saving Mr. Banks. <laughs> mm. He is fucking phoning it in, and it's it's, it's the pizza thing where like even bad pizza is still pretty good. No, uh, but because I don't think that's true about pizza either. Is the thing. Like I get the analogy you're making, but I think you got. I think people need to raise their standards. You need to accept that. Like I get that Hanks playing Disney is the fucking like casting layup of the century, but he's fucking coasting on that and the he mustache. Is. He is. He is. Yeah. It's not as fun as you want it to. Be. I don't really have much else to say other than just like I just think because you can so blatantly see the corporate notes on this film yes that the the, the depiction of disney in totality from beginning it's to end is just a just shell not of what interesting he he's in not a real slightest. character he's, he's not, not a real character in the movie you know who else you can not... replace this movie this movie if you if you can't change the script like if disney was like disney the company yeah was like this is the script you can't change it at mm-hmm. all this movie Maybe works if you replace Walt Disney with the Mickey Mouse doll that's in the film (laughs) and just have all the scenes play against like a puppet of Mickey Mouse. That's maybe the only way to fix it. Well, but like, you know why that's partially the case. You know who's really good in this movie? Emma Thompson. Emma fucking Thompson. She's incredible in this movie. And again, here's the thing. Any excuse you want to make 
for Hanks being bad in this movie. The script is bad. You know, the character's just like a reduced to an icon. It's obvious casting that he can do in his sleep. That also all applies to Emma Thompson as P.L. Travers, right? Mm-hmm. But Emma Thompson also, is like... It also you- works in the sense that they don't share scenes together, but her performance being mirrored from Colin's performance actually yes. works in this film in a way that doesn't yes. typically happen in movies like this. And from that same interview I'm referencing, they did they did talk about how they spent time together, even though they were not on screen together in the film. They Which is consciously very interesting because they time shot together. <laughs> I can't before imagine how how yeah. that would even line up. Um, she says that before they started filming, she. She went to dinner. She and Colin got dinner, and then they went to Colin's house in Beverly Hills or wherever, in somewhere in rules. LA. Oh my they god! They they went to Colin's house, and Colin's two kids were there, and they watched Mary Poppins with his kids. That's what they say. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm I imagine that throw... they were probably bouncing some ideas off each other. Like Colin was like, "I think I'm thinking I'm gonna play it like this and stuff like that." But That's... you can see it. Like, you, you can, can see, see that it. work on on screen. And, and I also think there is like bulletproof. Much credit to. Hold on, we haven't talked about her much. Um, Annie Rose Buckley, who plays yeah. the child P.L. Travers, yeah, uh, also I think gives a really really powerful performance. Um. And and really locks in with Thompson as mirroring. I'm very particular about like if you see child actors and adult character actors playing the same character, it always drives me crazy when I don't feel like they're playing the same person. Yeah. Uh it's the Shazam problem. Um yeah. I really do feel like and I, I think let's be let's be respectful but true. The responsibility for making that work lies on the adult performer not the child performer yeah yeah right because the adult Absolutely. performer is the professional and which is Thompson, why hanks I works think, in big because hanks yes. actually is doing what the yes. kid was doing earlier um and i think thompson really lands that it's also like and also credit to ruth wilson because ruth, ruth <laughs> wilson is also putting in the work too when's movie. she yeah. bad ever i think ruth she's wilson. i think she's in the hbo his dark materials series She's probably that i fucking don't cooking. really like that much because they were they're basically like can you be the most atrocious person to ever live and she's like okay yeah but yeah. i i love ruth wilson whenever ruth wilson pops up in something i'm like yes let's go uh i like that actress. she's playing it like when you see again colin's perform. So many actors have played problematic alcoholics in movies yes. especially like alcohol mm. fathers and and family men i like that there is a sliver in Ruth Wilson's performance that you can see that these two people have found each other probably because they both suffer from depression. And also because when he is the, the magical dad, she, she's like genuinely enthralled and taken away by it. That like, you you can understand why these two people are together, even though he's such a mess. You get what I mean? Yeah. 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 To, to bring it back to Thompson though. Um, I know we we think of Emma Thompson as this like titanic major serious British actress because she is, but like you got to remember Emma Thompson actually came up in sketch comedy, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's a weird like almost accident of her career that she ends up as this like serious 
two-time Oscar winning. And obviously she has the talent to pull that off. But yes. it's like it, it, she kind of stumbles into being a serious actress very quickly after like establishing herself as a sketch comedian. I think you see a lot of the sketch comedy chops in Saving Mr. Banks. Absolutely. Because if sketch comedy is in so many ways about like the characters have to be broad and big because you only have a few minutes to land and then people who are really good at it can find like weird idiosyncrasies to like play even for only like a joke in these broad characters she's playing this like broad loud obvious caricature who is full of these like interesting thorny touches that maybe don't like carry over throughout the entire movie but you she's she's making decisions in every scene she has in a way that like yes. energizes the picture yeah the thing is she's playing my grandmother in this movie that's great <laughs> i'm very happy for you like almost exact one for one it is interesting that she and hanks share that kind of comedy transition into serious dramatic acting uh mm. career trajectory um, and she's really tapping into it in this movie, and he is rejecting. Yes. Yeah, and it, but he it's doesn't. A, he it's doesn't not a character. He doesn't play funny. a real person. Yeah. Mm. He also doesn't like to play funny anymore. That is true. Like, like he's really allergic yeah. to it. One of the reasons why he's so good in the post is because Spielberg is like, "Fucking turn that engine back on, buddy." Yeah. Uh, same with Bridge of Spies. Like those are two very funny performances, and he doesn't give funny performances anymore yeah he he kind of delineates between serious and movies and i'll be on snl every two years and be funny yeah on that i think that's his his, his modes we, now do we want to do the emma thompson rushmore because i could do it cole, yeah. cole cole wants to do the emma thompson rushmore. i'm ready <laughs> when I, can I just say something about her and maybe why she translates to this kind of sure. role real quick is that when i think about emma thompson first most i think about kind of the ability to translate quiet dignity on screen, yes. which is not a skill that many actors have. And I mean, especially when you're looking at like the period pieces that she was in earlier on in her career, not super early, like, but her biggest, her biggest breakthrough performances. I think it's that ability to capture, like, I am not a rebel, but I'm also able to carry myself as an individual throughout mm. the the constraints of Victorian era England or whatever it may be. Yeah, she has such an individualistic um voice yeah. look to her. Um that just no matter who she plays, she always kind of seems somewhat out of the ordinary from the rest of the world that she is embodying. Um and that get that gets used a lot for weird um choices for her such as her work in men in black international but normal um, performance normal performance um, <laughs> well she always she every time she's on screen in any role she looks like she's thinking yes which is not yes. something that happens with 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 but in actors. a way that's not annoying right because i feel it's like there's a fidgety. lot of people where that yeah. level of like studiousness to the performance can be annoying and it always works when she does it it's, I mean, not to get ahead of myself, but like it's it's part of the reason why it worked with Hopkins early on, why yes. she had chemistry with him, mm -hmm. because I think they the most chemistry in the history of the pictures, <laughs> they, one might say. <laughs> they seem to they seem to maybe have different processes, but at least intellectually approach the work similarly. Um yeah. and uh but yeah, again, she's not she's she's not 
overexerting herself typically in the sense that she's like fidgety or biting her lip or, or mm-hmm. however, like a- actors use different behavioral techniques to like t- try to translate some of these things that she's able to do just with her eyes. Yes. That co- Colin's able to do with his eyes and his better performances as well. Like we, part of the magic about that Miami vice performance is like, you just see him longing for stuff as he's, as he's watching. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's something that Emma Thompson has always, always, always been able to bring to the table. They both have incredibly expressive eyes. Yeah. Um, I suppose right. I start off again, don't I? You do start. You got it. <laughs> All right. Hmm. You know, I think I just got to go with the obvious choice here and say sense and sensibility. Yeah, it is the obvious choice. I mean, yeah, I, don't she's... Even, I don't even like that movie as much as everyone else does, but she's fucking buckets in sense and sensibility. She's, she's incredible. not the director, obviously, but she is the auteur of that. Film. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like... It's her second Oscar yeah. for writing. Yeah. Just like I, I think, th- I think that's kind of just such an obvious choice. I can't not say it. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's so funny. Like she gets again. It's the sketch. It's the the comedy background, right? Like that's not a very mm-hmm. sketchy performance, but she gets the sense of sensibility is a comedy, um, in a way that like maybe Ang Lee doesn't get that it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I think he gets it. Maybe I don't know. I'm not as huge on that movie as other people are. Yeah. Uh, she's hilarious. She's yeah. so lovely. It's wonderful. It's it's the fucking Emma Thompson. It's the fucking obituary movie, right? Yeah, yeah Sense and Sensibility. 100%. Um, and just Connery, the fact that like her diaries from when she was working on it have been published and yeah. and, and things it's, like that. She's yeah. wonderful. It's totemic. It's, yeah, Connor, you kind of gave the game away. I know. Yeah, I know. So thank you for doing that. But which one? <laughs> which one are you gonna pick? there's a correct answer and there's an incorrect answer and i'm trusting you to be sensible so i can get a little freaky with it uh because you don't love to get a little freaky with it this isn't actually that freaky i think this is a pretty obvious one it's dead again oh oh, okay yeah your reaction tells me you guys haven't seen dead again no no i have i've not seen that i have not seen that again you did not make it seem like that was the one that i had uh given the game away with. Or so you, you didn't give game. the game away. You didn't give the game away with oh, that. Okay. Like you gave the game away with something else. That means I can pick dead again. Oh, oh, oh. you know what I'm going to pick. I know what you're going to pick. Okay. Okay. Um, I thought you were trying to, I thought you were no. being like, I'm going to subskirt this somehow and make you no. pick something you don't want. Yeah. No, dead again is like the, the most enjoyable kind of brain movie to watch. I don't know. Yeah. It's the, it's <laughs> yeah. cl- easily the strongest of the Brana Thompson collaborations. Um, it's also just like she plays like four different characters in that movie yeah. because of all that. Jeff, have you seen Dead Again? I've not seen Dead Again. Do, are you aware of the conceit of Dead Again? I am not. I'm reading it right now. It's a neo noir that's about like past lives, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of business in that movie of like crimes that happened in the past and everyone has been reincarnated or maybe they haven't. But over the course of that movie, you're the question of like, well, who is Emma Thompson playing? Is mm. she just a woman with amnesia? Is she the specific woman with amnesia? Is this she the, she a reincarnation of a dead woman? Is she a reincarnation of the guy who killed that dead woman? Right? Like she she flits through all these different modes in this movie and really anchors what I think is a very silly screenplay, right? Yeah. But as a movie, obviously that movie is funny and like gets that it's it's kind of there's a camp value to it in a way that like weird that it's written by Scott Frank. Um, yeah. 
because that's not normally what you get out of him. But I don't know. I think if you don't have that performance and that that someone with the capacity to kind of tackle the enormity of that character, you know, the movie doesn't work. And that movie's really fucking good. Um, I'm gonna put so that my, on my wrist. Yeah, it's you. You'll you'll have a blast with that. I don't have anything else to say. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now Connor says say a certain uh, film from 1993. Um, yeah, my pick is obviously the remains of the day. Okay. Um, damn right great book, is, baby. Great adaptation of the uh, book. Um, the most romantic movie ever made. Possibly? The most the most romantic movie ever made, and you know, shocking to say, doesn't. I don't even know. Does anybody share a kiss in that movie? At one point, they like brush hands. Does anybody? Does any character? <laughs> oh, does in that anyone? Movie I don't kiss? think so. No. Yeah, but it's like heart stoppingly sexy when you think when the anticipation like builds to a certain it's point. Fucking but, um, the tension. Yeah, it's, it's it's it is it is to me like the fundamental text about kind of the disillusionment with aristocracy, with classism, with. Um, devoting one's life to service. It's just incredibly sad film filled with regret. Uh, and again, as we say about, as we said about Hanks and as we say about Colin fair, fairly often, as we've been saying about Emma Thompson, it's like, I think the movie fundamentally doesn't work if she's not cast in that role. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that's yeah. true of the two of them. Right. And like but I like... said, like I said, like, where she's always been able to exude quiet dignity on screen. That is a, a film too, where it's like, this is a character who understands the relationship between master of the household and the maids and the butlers and the servants who serve within the household. This is not somebody who's rebelling against said status quo, but this is somebody who through thick and thin will not negate living as a human being within said constraints that have been thrust upon her and it, that that's a tricky thing to pull off because i think a lot of other actors would approach it with a rebelliousness that yes. seems very naive and in, in other films it, it always tends to come off at, across as as very naive and nothing about emma thompson has ever seemed naive mm -hmm. you know even in even in like good luck to you leo grand when she's somebody that's trying to experience something new she still doesn't seem naive like she seems very aware of her place within the world and the course of which her life has taken and yeah. uh that's a performance so good it kind of ruins that movie yeah leo grand I mean. <laughs> well the, it, the movie just the, the 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 general premise of the movie just cannot support the uh, either of the performances the, the, the construction of yeah. the movie that it's a two-hander and like she's giving that performance and he's not like yeah is the is the problem jeff have you seen the remains of the day i've not seen the remains of the day do you know who's in the remains of the day besides hopkins and thompson i do not Connor, uh, you want to tell him um yeah have you ever heard of a, a certain actor named christopher reeve oh yeah plays a nazi is it his... congressman oh it's one of the yeah. last movies that sounds he good makes before it's one of the last movies he makes before the also accident. hugh grant is in it um, yeah but i just think christopher reeve fucking Always Lena loves. Haiti shows up for like two Ugh. seconds and you're like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> she's really young in it. She's probably in her like early 20s and it's like, whoa, <laughs> where did this come from? But yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I've been sold on the last two movies that I need like to I said, like I said, it's this. a movie that's like, it's a movie that essentially 
offer it, it it doesn't go so far as to attempt to offer a solution but like it's a movie that clearly embodies everything that is wrong with kind mm. of the former status quo of england's yeah caste system and and, yeah, and fucking hierarchical society yeah merchant ivory gets a bad rap I'm just going to say this. I don't know why. People, I don't get what it is that people yeah. don't understand that those movies are like so funny and sexy mm-hmm. and like human and beating heart. And I think people think that Merchant Ivory is like BBC miniseries, like that level of stuffiness. And it's not. Those movies fucking rule. They're, James Ivory, great filmmaker. Obviously, that whole that whole team. Jablava yeah. as well. And their other their other collaboration between Thompson and, and Hopkins, um, Howard's End is is also like a yes, beautiful Which film. that's the one uh, she wins the Oscar for. And yeah. frankly, you probably could have flip-flopped those. Uh I, I think a hundred percent. Because the thing about Howard's End is that she she is not the tentpole performance yes. in that movie. And the thing about the thing about the remains of the day is like, yes, Hopkins is the lead, but the Hopkins performance cannot survive on its own without the Tom without the Thompson performance. Also, just gonna put this out there. I'm not the biggest fan of Holly Hunter and the piano (laughs) who does win the Oscar over Emma Thompson for in 93. Uh it's gonna you maybe slide her over. Maybe slide her up. That's all I'm saying. Uh I love the piano. I think it's an easy case where like People are like, we've already seen this performance, even though I think that's exactly two, what happens. Even yeah, though they're two completely too. different. I know. I, I think you're completely goals. right. Yeah, right. Jeff. My natural inclination is another '90s movie, but I don't want to. I don't know if I want these all to be in the '90s. I mean, if it's if, if it yeah. is, if she's it's a '90s actress. actress. An actress, then yeah. Because if either of you seen Primary Colors. Never fucking so god damn it. No, I've never she seen plays primary colors. Hillary Clinton <laughs> I know in primary colors with John Travolta as Bill Clinton. And they are two very funny performances. Yeah. Jeff, I have not seen this movie, but you're making me want to use the veto. It's right written by <laughs> Elaine May. It's so fuck? good. Why yeah, it's, Mike Nichols. Nichols it's probably good. It's very good. I like it a lot. She is so funny in it as Hillary. Truly, this whole time I thought Kathy Bates was the Hillary analog in that movie. No, she's the uh, like idealistic campaigner who kind of learns what Bill is like. Nineties Mike Nichols. Oh, but this is one of those movies where they have different uh, pseudonyms. Yes, names. Yeah. 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 It's John Travolta walking around talking. Yeah, like there, we the there, we there we go. There we go. There we go. I was waiting for you to did do it. Did he have sexual uh, relations with that woman? Uh, though? No, this sexual relations with that woman. This movie predates the Lewinsky scandal. Mm-hmm. Oh, it did. Yeah this this movie is about the election the, the the first election. If I'm right, from when we covered it on Travolting, it, it comes out like the week that the Lewinsky scandal breaks, and just like go everything goes to hell with marketing uh, the movie. I, I'm sorry we can't be more enthusiastic. We've just never seen that movie. But yeah, yeah no, that's totally I, fine. Uh, I know um, you're a big fan. I know you're a big fan of that movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm fond of that movie. I haven't yeah. watched it in like two years, but I'm I'm fond of it. Yeah. You know what I you know it's a movie that like I don't especially love, but I do love her in the movie. And when she love shows actually. up in the movie, it's like kind of like oh the rest of the performances all seem worse. Love actually. No, I was gonna say the Meyerwitz <laughs> stories. 
I don't remember her being in the Meyerowitz stories. I'm sorry. She, not she to be Dustin rude. Dustin Hoffman's new wife or girlfriend or whatever. Sure. And every time she shows up, it's like, oh, the Sandler and the Stiller performance like really aren't that good. I when love you're, that Sandler when you're watching her. Yeah. Like that. But yeah, Meyer- I mean, Love actually functions the same way yeah. as well, where it's like whenever she's on screen, you yeah. don't want it to leave. Because uh, you're going to cut back me, to the Martin Freeman. Uh, it took me line. a long time when I was a kid to recognize that Professor Trelawney in Harry Potter was yes. Emma Thompson. Yeah. And it's funny because she's in like the third, fifth, and eighth movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's like some of those Harry Potter castings are funny because they'll just disappear for like five movies and then yeah, come back. Who, who, uh... Like Professor Sprout is in the second movie and then the last one. I think about it a lot, how crazy it is that they had to film basically every scene of that movie where they say Sorcerer's Stone twice. Once oh, for Sorcerer <laughs> and once for Philosopher. Look, we're gonna, like, the... we're gonna cover the... Um, um, yes, 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 yes. John Hurt is in the first movie... And then I think he's in the second movie, and then he does not show back up until <laughs> the yeah, Deathly Hallows. Yeah, he's not in the second one. He's not pop back up until Deathly he's not Hallows, part of the, yeah. where the tone has so shifted. Yeah, and he's so old by that point. Like he's yeah. he's visually aged like twenty seven years yeah. in, in between those. Um, I I think about that. I I recently reread and rewatched all of them for the upcoming mm-hmm. episode that Cole and I will end up doing on it. But um, what, yeah. what, which episode? I am. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm very excited for you guys. I should uh, reread them. Fantastic Beasts episode. Well, you, you, I'm very excited. movie I've never seen? That? You've never seen that. Fantastic I've Beasts. never seen Cole, it. I'm warning you. You're, you're about to have be. the most disappointing Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I know life. how... Jeff, do you want to know why I've never seen it? Because you know the ending? Because that scene. When I found out that's how it ended, I was like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> it I don't is, want Colin I mean, to like, go away. Look, 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 look. We're going to spend an entire episode talking about it, but it is kind of heartbreaking, especially like we're at Saving Mr. Banks right now. The the mini run that Colin's about to like, or the movie, the movie that's coming up that's like a big movie that's going to redefine yeah. what Colin's capable of. And then immediately following that movie, it's like, <laughs> we are starting a new franchise. And he is not really in the franchise. Like we're casting him within it, but he's not actually going to be a part okay, of the but, franchise. But you get what I'm saying? Because if they yeah, told me we're making a trilogy, years... if we're making a trilogy of Wizarding World movies that are led by Colin Farrell, I'm like, oh man, I want to be in God, this. They so did badly. not say a trilogy. They did not say a trilogy. I'm they I'm saying hypothetically. I'm saying hypothetically. Um, if they came in 2015 or 2014, or whatever, and they were like, "You're gonna get three movies of Colin Farrell leading wizarding stories," yeah. I'm like, "That's exactly what I want." I and mean, then what you get then, is like, why? <laughs> but seven years later, we can all agree, holy shit, bullet dodged. <laughs> yes. They wrote Colin oh, Farrell out of those movies. Definitely. Definitely. Um. Stop it! I'm back alive.